I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Communications Director of the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, Robin Gregory. And today we're going to be talking about uh, food insecurity, amongst other things. In August, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company unveiled its new program centered around the release of Dankful IPA, a generously hoppy beer launched to help the brewery raise awareness for a variety of nonprofits working to support local communities. Robin Gregory and the team at Sierra Nevada have already donated $1 million during the pandemic and are focusing heavily on overcoming the challenge of food insecurity. With philanthropy playing a large role since its beginning, the company has also contributed to help ramp up testing and to provide necessary tools to medical centers for COVID-19. Robin Gregory was previously the San Francisco editor at HuffPost. Welcome to the show, Robin. Nice to have you here. Good morning. Thank you so much, Catherine. Great to be here. Well, I think one of the things I thought of immediately, um, you don't always associate breweries with philanthropy. But in this case, Sierra, your company, the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, seems to be the leader in this area. How did that, I guess, come to pass or how did that evolve or when did it begin? Yeah, you know, philanthropy has really always been a part of our company's DNA, kind of from the very beginning. Um, And I I think that it really has to do with our founder, Ken Grossman, um, and his ethos. Um, Ken, who is still the owner of our our company, our company's still 100% family-owned, operated and argued over, as we like to say. Um, And philanthropy uh, has always just been really important to him and a big part of, of how he operates his life. Um, and so when he started the brewery, um, the the goal was really to to make amazing beer um, and to do it in a way that could give back to the community and that could could honor the earth and the and the people who work here and the people in our communities. Um, so it's and- always been a part of who we are. Um, and as we've grown, it's it's kind of become a bigger and bigger part of our identity. As I understand it, and I was online uh, looking at the history of the brewery company, I guess he st- Ken Grossman, start, when he started becoming interested in beer, he was he was just a kid, right? He bought this beer kit, and then I don't know what he did with it, but he didn't tell his mother about it. So I don't know what the rest of that story is, but that's really <laughs> starting young. He has some, some great stories that he would love to tell you over a beer one day, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Ken has always is, is a tinkerer at heart. Um, and has always been interested in how things work and in creating new things. Um, he had a neighbor growing up uh, who was into home brewing and also uh, winemaking. And Ken will describe just being really transfixed by these bubbling cauldrons of, of different liquids that, that this guy was created. So he he got a, a homebrew kit or made kind of a homebrew kit when he was younger um, and started making homebrew in his closet at home. Um, his mother, it sounds like, did, you know, really wanted to encourage his tinkering and experimentation. Um, but he, I don't think he revealed to her that he was making beer. Um, she has a great story of, of coming home one day and opening the door and just having this just overpowering smell in the house 
and Ken just running to his room um, and finding his whole room just covered in, in liquid from some, <laughs> some fermentation explosion. So it's always been um, a part of, of, uh, of his passion. Um, and then when he uh, grew up and, and got old enough, he started, um, he moved to Chico and started a homebrew supply store. Um, and that was actually his first company. Um, and then from there, thought, you know, I, I really want to take a chance on, on brewing beer and, and see if this could be something that I do with my life. So it's, it's been his lifelong passion. And what really makes a good beer? I mean, I, I guess you can't tell, obviously not going to tell the family secrets about this particular beer, but <laughs> I mean, there are so many beers, let's put it that way. And there are so many choices and so many choices within the company to choose different kinds of beer. So yeah, I'm not a beer expert, so I'm really interested in that. Like what, you know, what's popular, what makes, is it, are different beers popular in different parts of the country? You're in California. I know the whole company is very involved in the environment and outdoor, and that's associated with the beers. So just give, give us a little bit of that, you know, insight into how you or how the company decides, okay, this beer is good for this season or for this population. And I think you're on the East Coast now, too, as well. Yeah, we have we have breweries in uh, a second brewery in Mills River, North Carolina now, and your your question is a good one. Um, and I, but I think it's kind of two different two different questions. One is what makes a good beer, um, and and the second is what makes a popular beer, um, and and sometimes those are the same thing, and and but not always. Um, and for a good beer, what it really comes down to is quality. And uh, a lot of times the most, the most challenging part of making beer is, is what you're keeping out of the beer. Um, there's, there's so many opportunities for microbes to get into your beer or if you have um, different minerals in your water um, or if the hops that you're using aren't fresh or weren't treat, handled properly. There's so many different ways to get um, and those things, when they show up in the beer, they won't usually won't ever hurt you, but um, would show up as off flavors. And so, what's really difficult is just to to get everything just right. Um, interestingly, one of the most difficult beers to make is is just a lager. It's just like a, a crushable, clean kind of um, straightforward lager beer. Um, a lot of breweries, when they're testing out new brewing equipment or when they're just getting started, will actually make. Uh, like a big stout, because those cover up a lot of uh, a lot of things that can go wrong. Um, but if you can get it down to a really clean and, and straightforward uh, lager beer that you do well, then that's really the sign of, of great quality. Um, so quality has always been hugely important to us, and a big investment um, on Ken's part. We have a really sophisticated lab in both of our breweries. Um, and that's a, a huge part of what we do. Um, and it's also, he's been really generous with that. If we find, if other breweries, for instance, are having quality concerns, um, then we will encourage them to send their beer to us so that we can analyze it in our lab. So a lot goes into making a good beer. What makes So that's the quality. Beer, when you're talking about popular, then you're talking about, I imagine that's obviously your area of expertise if you're the communications director, right? I mean, involved right. in... <laughs> <laughs> How to? Yeah, well, let's talk about popularity. So popularity is different, and obviously, you know, if, if you have a beer that doesn't taste good, it's not going to be popular. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, there's different phases that come and go. Right now, for instance, um, 
IPA has just been hugely popular for years and years. Um, but for about the past five years, um, what we call East Coast style IPAs, which are a bit sweeter, a bit juicier and kind of hazy, have been really popular. We have a beer called Hazy Little Thing IPA, and it's, it's one of our most popular beers now. Um, and it, it, it ranges. Um, it, it really changes with, with public taste and public perception. Back in the 90s, you saw a lot of really aggressive, bitter beers that were very popular. And that's changed now. People now tend to like more balanced beers or a little, beers that have a little bit more sweetness in them. So, Robin, what happens when a beer, you put a beer out there and it doesn't do well? How do you, what do you do? How do you, you take it off the market? Uh, you change, tweak some of the ingredients to, or how, how does that work? Yeah, it happens. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, there's usually there's a, a process of, okay, trying to identify, is it, you know, is it the marketing? Is it how we're positioning the beer, is it the, the commercials we're putting out in the world? Is it, um, is it the packaging? Um, is it, you know, if we, if we change the way that we're presenting this beer, will more people try it? Because you can, I mean, you know, just kind of like a, a book, if, if you can make the best beer in the world, but if nobody tries it, um, it's not going to be popular. Um, so we'll, we'll try all of that. And then um, as a last resort, we might try reformulating the beer, changing the recipe a little bit. And then if, if those things aren't working, then usually we'll, we'll accept it um, and discontinue the beer and move on. So the Sierra... Nevada Brewing Company has been around for a long, long time, as we've just been talking about. Why is it, it seems to me, there's a real kind of trend or starting your own brewery has become very popular in the last few years? Um, what, is that just my perception? Or I think that's true. No, no, and, no it's yeah. definitely not your perception. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's because there's been just an explosion of, of craft breweries. Um, and we have, we just actually last year celebrated our 40th anniversary. So we Congratulations. have been around for a while. Thank you. Um, and uh, as craft beer has become more and more popular, um, people have, have really become impassioned by it. Um, one of the things that's so wonderful about craft beer in particular, um, besides just all the different flavors that exist, the different possibilities, is the culture. Um, craft beer is, is a really fun and um, a welcoming and collaborative culture. You, it, you'll see a lot of breweries do collaboration beers, for instance, where two breweries will get together and, and just want to make a beer together. Um, I mean, if you think about that, if you could imagine, you know, Pepsi and Coca-Cola getting together to, to make a collaboration, it, it would just be unheard of. Um, so it, it's, it's a, a very cool and unusual culture. Um, and one where I think people feel like they can they can be themselves and and still have a business that's thriving and, and bringing the community together. Yeah, you know, that's a whole new attitude towards an entrepreneurial business, which I think is great. Which I right. guess brings us into let's talk about what the your, your the Sierra Nevada Brewing Company is doing because you have collaborated with so many other breweries to. To uh, well, to to I get to get monies for what we just I mentioned in the beginning, uh, for donating monies for the pandemic and doing all of those kinds of um, really good stuff in terms of serving the community. But it's a collaborative effort, I guess, is what I'm saying, and and that's great. So uh, let's talk about that and what what you've done and what all of you have done, actually. Yeah, you know, it's um, collaboration. I think 
kind of at its heart is um, accepting that that other people can do things well and, and better than you can <laughs> and, and, and embracing that and saying, hey, you know, I, I, we specialize in some things. Someone else specializes in other things. And when we come together, we can specialize in both of those things. Um, so when it came to thankful um, and, and raising money to help with the COVID effort, um, what we really wanted to do was empower those nonprofits who do this every day um, to do their good work. And so we had, you know, some conversations of should we start something from scratch and, and then, you know, continue it for years on. Um, but we recognized that it would probably be more impactful if we got together with nonprofits who already do this good work. So we made a commitment to donate at least a million dollars this year to nonprofits all over the country who are, are fighting um, to, to make an impact during the COVID pandemic. Um, and we will look to our teams and we looked to some of our partners who we would worked with in the past and said, you know, what, what do people need right now? And that has changed um, at various times over the year. But one of the ongoing needs that we saw was food insecurity. Um, and when we started talking to some, some food pantries and some organizations who specialize in this, they told us that they have seen uh, a double in need since March. So uh, to put that in perspective, um, about 10% of American households were facing food insecurity in March. Um, and that number has risen to between 20 and 23%. Um, so that's almost you know, a fifth of American households who are struggling to put food on the table or who can't feed their families healthy and nutritious meals. Um, and so that to us was, was very compelling. Uh, and so we have, have partnered with nonprofits in uh, cities all over, including Rethink, Rethink Food in New York, um, and have made donations to help them meet that need, to help them double their efforts. That's, I mean, that's incredible work. And, and obviously, as you say, almost one-fifth of American families or households suffer from food insecurities. I mean, that's, that's really horrific, I guess, is what the word. But anyway, not only that. Now, I think you're also taking some of these monies to help ramp up testing, which we need more testing. And then the right. other thing, yeah, and, and providing necessary tools to medical centers. I think I read that in the beginning for COVID-19. How does that work? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd mentioned the lab earlier on. Um, and we do, we do have a pretty, a pretty sophisticated lab, um, particularly in Chico. Um, and early on in the crisis, Ken, our owner, um, met with the CEO over at Enlo Medical Center, which is the, the, or the big hospital here, um, and said, hey, what do you guys need? How can we help? And they just sat down and kind of looked through all of these problems that, that he was foreseeing. And one of the big ones for testing um, was a VTM shortage. VTM is viral transport media. Um, and that essentially is the solution that you put into the test tube with, with a nose or mouth swab. Um, and what VTM does is it, will ke- it kind of feeds the virus, so it keeps the virus healthy and alive so that you can store that test tube and test it later. And if you don't have VTM, if you're just using like a saline solution, for instance, you need to test it almost immediately um, or else that sample will, the, the COVID in there will start to die um, and it won't be accurate any longer. 
Um, so VPM is, is pretty important, particularly for, for storage and if you're trying to test a lot of people. And because of COVID, there is a, a VTM shortage worldwide. Um, and Ken talked with our lab and said, hey, if they need this, this VTM stuff. Is this something we could make? Um, and they took a look at it and said, yeah, that would, we, we create media all the time to test for various bacteria in our beer, to test for, uh, you know, different things that might be growing in there, make sure that everything looks good and clean, um, and found that just by changing that formula, um, they could do the same thing for VTM. So we started producing VTM for the hospital, um, and it allowed them to really ramp up testing capabilities here in Butte County and test a lot more people. Uh, that is so critical, so important, and most people don't know, and I don't know, I did not know about that. I all, only knew, you know, I saw here the general thing, you can't just test, there are a lot of things associated with testing that you have to have available, but nobody, but I, you don't really hear about, well, what is that? You know, why can't we just get the test yeah, out I, there and test, yeah. Right, so, I've never heard of it either. I've, I've become a VTM expert. I feel you're like an expert. In these past few months, I have. <laughs> I'm writing VTM. Yeah, and it's, yeah. There's a, there's a. I think it's um, and it and for Ken, I think that that type of work is particularly exciting because it's the that challenge um, of of you know how how can we think outside the box uh, and use the resources we have in a creative way to help. And who would have thought? I mean, a la- that you had the lab that a brewing co- brewery had, right. had, yeah, that had the lab to be able to do that. And as you say, think out of the box. Okay, now what can we do? That's great. Um, all right, is what else is in the? I mean, we've been in this pandemic now for a year, and obviously, I'm sure you're going to continue to do this. But are there other things in the in the future that you're going to be connected with? Because uh, this, you know, now we've got variants on the on the uh, virus. Maybe uh, it may be more virulent. We don't know. Are you involved, or will be involved in any of that kind of work? You know, what, what we're actually now just um, getting focused on is vaccine distribution. Um, and we, again, um, are working with Enlo or the medical center here. Um, and Ken and his wife, Katie, have um, are making a, a personal donation. Um, it's not through the brewery, it's just through Ken and Katie, um, but are, are making a donation and match that will allow the hospital to complete uh, vaccinations here in Butte County. Um, so it's, uh, they've estimated that, that giving one vaccine for the hospital is about $15. Um, so when you're looking at, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in our community, it, it starts to get expensive. Um, and so Ken and Katie have made a, a very generous donation to help allow tens of thousands of people in Butte County to get vaccinated. So that's kind of our, our next effort that we're focusing on right now. Now, just from a personal point of view, because I had mentioned, I think we were not on the air, but you had been the editor, uh, previously the editor at, at uh, HuffPost in San Francisco. Right. How did that experience help you to be able to do what you're doing now? Or how did you, yeah, well, that's the question. You know, it's um, it's funny. It's interesting to me that um, I thought that would be a huge shift, and in some ways, it's not. It's not that different. Um, it oftentimes is requiring you to become an, an expert in something foreign uh, quickly, and to learn as much as you can about something. 
Um, and then also just to, to think through of, of how, what's the best way to communicate? What's the best way to make sure that, that people understand these sometimes uh, complex and sometimes maybe boring sounding efforts that are really important? Um, so if you're ta- talking about VTM, for instance, um, what's a, how, how do we talk about that? In a way that how do you make it make, sexy? Make how do you make care? BTM sexy, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> and not not even so much sexy, but how how do you make people understand? Because because yeah. those, those concepts can be can be uh, you know wordy and lab like, and um, and and how do you make how do you make that compelling? I mean, that's critical. I've had a lot of scientists and or physicians on the show who do want to explain the work they're doing and they do get into all the scientific stuff. But for just the general population, for all of us. It, it, if you can't understand it, then it just that's it sort of just goes off in thin air, right? So that's that really is critical. And I have to say, you really did explain VTM really well. Now I get it, and I'm going to spread the word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very cool. So okay, so you use you you the skill set is similar, but some of the inf- the information and things that you have to learn are different, obviously. But you obviously have a a skill set that that carried over into being the communications director right here at uh, at the brewery. So it's a family right. business. How does that fit in? Because family businesses, you have family, and then you have people who are not in the family but are very much part of what you do. Um, how does that work, relationship-wise? Yeah, that's been a, that's been a big uh, change. I'd never worked for a family business before, um, and it presents some of our greatest challenges and frustrations and also I think is is one of is probably the most compelling and and <laughs> wonderful things about our company um, is that it uh, it oftentimes involves um, you know convincing people and debating and uh, you know we we put on all of our packaging family owned operated and argued over um, and we argued over putting that on our packaging so it's it, it really is um, you know can be can be frustrating and and can take a lot of uh, a lot of thinking things through and 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 talking passionately about things, but at the same time, um, it allows us to sometimes make decisions that might not always be driven financially. Um, so, if we were having to worry about the bottom line, for instance, then then um, Dankful might not be the best idea for us. Um, another example of this, we, a few years back, um, had the campfire, which was uh, just up the hill from our brewery, which was the, the deadliest and most devastating fire in California history. Um, and about 50 of our employees lost their homes in that fire. Um, and immediately, Ken just kind of came downstairs and, and said, everybody get to this table and we're going to figure out what we can do. Um, and it was just a couple of days of him saying, of, of just, just brainstorming with Ken and, and the group of, of, okay, what can we do? Who can we call? Um, and from that, we started uh, Resilience Butte County Proud IPA, um, which was a fundraiser beer. Um, and it was, the plan was to crowdsource it, to call these other breweries and say, hey, will you brew it too? Um, and will you serve it in your tap rooms and then donate the money to, to this wildfire relief effort? Um, and Ken's big goal was to get a hundred other breweries to participate. He said, I think I could do that. 
Um, and then soon after, it became apparent that we were going to get 100. And he said, well, well God, what, what if we could get 200? Um, and I remember one morning, our social, we, we'd put it out on Facebook and said, you know, just send us a direct message if you want to participate. And our social media coordinator calling me on a Saturday morning and saying, I'm answering 10 emails and getting 20. I can't possibly keep up with, with all of these messages that are coming in. Um, and at the end of the day, we had over 1,500 breweries across the world participate, and we raised over $8 million for Butte County. Um, and that type of stuff is, is, is just maybe wouldn't happen at, at a company that wasn't run by somebody who just comes downstairs and says, I don't care what we have to do, make it happen. Also, uh, the word leadership keeps kind of flashing in my head. That's what leadership is all about, isn't it? I mean, that's what we need now. Right. And yeah, on the level that you're talking about, I mean, he. this is what a leader looks like. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and that, yeah. you know, go ahead. I think when you have, when you have a leader like that, um, it inspires everybody around you to be leaders. Um, and, you know, we, I think our whole company, you know, we want to do good work and we want to do the right thing because that's who we are. Um, but we also, it's really important to us to say, you know, Ken and, and our leaderships, you know, they helped us out here. They stood up there. Um, you know, we have a, a saying around the brewery is there's good and then there's Ken good. Um, <laughs> and everybody wants to do Ken good. Everybody wants to, you know, to be a leader themselves. So you made the right choice, it seems to me. I mean, I, I can hear the passion in your voice. And like you go to bed at night and you feel really good about what you do. I mean, it seems to me that's, that's a really the most positive thing you can do when you, have, when you go to work in the morning or have a profession. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. So I want to be sure that because you are doing a lot of different kinds of things. Give us a website, and I'm sure there's more than one or several where we can go to to get more information about what you are doing and what the company's doing. Sure. So our website is, is SierraNevada.com. And if you want to find info on Dankful um, and all of the nonprofits that we're working with, you can go to SierraNevada.com slash Dankful. It's D-A-N-K-F-U-L. And on there, you'll find information about the, the um, donation amounts that we're doing, and, and, but you'll also find a ton of information about these great nonprofits that we're working with. Um, and so you can uh, pick up a six-pack of Dankful at your local store and help in the effort as well. Um, or if you want to find one of those nonprofits in your community, just head to that website and, and find your local nonprofit on there as well. So your beer, you said it was in the Carolinas on the East Coast. Is it any place else? Is it in New York? You know, well, is it anywhere else on the East it's, Coast? Well, our two breweries. Yeah, we have our, our brewery in Chico, California, and our brewery in Mills River, North Carolina. But our beer is distributed in all 50 states um, and some international. So you'll, you'll, you can find Sierra Nevada just about any place that carries beer, which is great. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Robin Gregory, she's the communications director at Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Um, Great information. You're doing such good work, and we really appreciate it. Catherine, thank you. This was a real pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 